the Sunday Sermons Podcast. Got a question for you. Have you ever thought, why did Jesus never try to be good? Because he didn't. At least not by anybody else's definition. If he wanted to be a good teacher, a good rabbi, a good Jew, a good Roman citizen, he would have lived his life completely differently than how he lived. The way that he did things didn't look quote unquote good to most of the people around him. He freaked him out. He never even tried. In fact, he pushed back a lot. For example, in Mark chapter 10, uh, beginning with verse 17, there's a story where someone comes to him. It's a good illustration of how he did this. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. Then he proceeds to give him a quote-unquote good teacher answer. He says, "Oh, oh, okay, here you go. Keep the commandments. Don't kill, don't steal, don't commit adultery. Make sure you keep the Sabbath. Make sure you do all the good stuff. It's what the guy was hoping he was going to say, what a good teacher would say. But he doesn't stop there. Watch the rest of the conversation. Teacher, he declared, all these things I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell and he went away sad because... He had great wealth. I think it's really appropriate whenever we're talking about what the Bible has to say about money or things like that to look at this story. I think it absolutely matters that it's wealth is the issue here, but it's deeper than that. The reason this man walked away was not because of something innately wrong with money. The problem with why he walked away here is because he cared more about being a quote unquote good person Then he cared about being someone that Jesus was pleased with. He cared more about being the good guy, the rich guy, the cool guy, the successful guy, the guy that everybody could say, hey, he keeps all the commandments. He gets all the thou shalt's done and he doesn't do any of the thou shalt nots. And look at how God is blessing him financially for that. That place, that idea, that identity was more important to him than actually pleasing God. And Jesus knew about that. That's why he asked him to give all that away and follow him. So why is it that that sounds so familiar to us? If you're here this morning, I'm guessing you're not trying to actively walk away from Jesus. I'm guessing you're someone who's following him. Many of you that I know well, I know that for sure about you. But why is it for all of us that that's still such a struggle? Why is being a good person so important to us? Why is it so important to us to make sure that everybody around us thinks that we are good? Why is that honestly sometimes far more important to us than what Jesus himself thinks? Because if we're honest, it is. 
Now, sometimes it does matter. I think it's a good thing to care at what other people think. It's a good thing to meet them halfway. It's a good thing to compromise on a couple of things. And some of us really need help. I, I, if you can just look at me any given day of the week and you know that I'm not really a really good fashion kind of a guy, okay? I don't spend a whole lot of time putting a whole lot of thought into what I wear or what I do. But there was a time back in college when I first got back from Papua New Guinea and I realized it hit me that I had grown up in a jungle in the, a whole nother country. And that I didn't look or act anything at all like anybody else around me. And so I went to one of my friends, his name was Donnie White. Donnie, if you're out there on the internet somewhere, thank you. And no, thank you, I love you though. But I went to my friend Donnie White and I said, dude, everybody thinks you're cool. Everybody likes the way you dress. Can you help me figure out how to look cooler? Because I, I know that I, I struggle in this area. So he hooked me up. And before long, whenever you saw me dressed up, I had a suit jacket and it was hiked up like I do my shirts all the time. Because that was on Miami Vice and that's how Donnie White did it. <laughs> And I had pants that were really baggy, except they were really tight here, and I had two belts. <laughs> yeah. And my hair looked like Bono's hair. L looking back, it was just a mullet. But at the time, I thought it looked like Bono from U2. And I had a little mustache, no beard, one earring. For about five minutes, I was cool. And then one by one, every single element of that, uh, that outfit just got really uncool. And I still remember that because the reality is I am not, that's never going to be something that's me. So I'm easy prey to all the trends if I really try to pay attention to it. But the other thing that I remember when I think about this is um, most of the things that we do care about, most of the stuff that we follow because it's trending or because it's popular at the time are not solid values. Do you hear what I'm saying? Just because it's the thing to talk about right now, just because that's what's on the news or online or that's what's around the water cooler doesn't mean it's the right thing or the good thing. Just because everybody's wearing it right now, just because your favorite band, that's how they do their hair, that's never really ultimately fundamentally good. It changes all the time. That's why we need to listen to the Spirit. Because he doesn't change. No matter what else we all think or do or fall for or do, no matter how quote unquote good it is or not, the Holy Spirit knows the character of God himself. And he wants to actually change us till we are naturally the kind of people who live life God's way, who see things God's way. He actually transforms us into the kind of people who actually do these things. We don't just follow the rules. And little by little, once we start to understand these ideas, what that Paul calls the fruit of the Spirit, once we start understanding them the way we've been unpacking them this summer, the, the actual biblical sense of these, not the modern sense of them and the feelings concept of these ideas, but the actual biblical ideas, it makes so many really important passages, some of which are so confusing, starts unlocking them for us. Because suddenly we're seeing them from another perspective. This morning, if you've got a Bible, God bless you, you've got an app, you can turn there. All of these scriptures are in the sermon outline, by the way. But if you, if you just start with James chapter 1, starting with verse 2, see if these, you don't see all of these things we've been talking about for the last several weeks in this. 
James says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Remember that the true biblical sense of joy is being able to supernaturally see the good in others and in a situation and in yourself and in God, even when all the circumstances don't seem to do it. See that in there? You see it? And patience is living expectantly. It's waiting and also acting with expectation, knowing that God is going to come through and things are somehow going to work out in a way that are the best thing. He says, perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. There's that idea of peace, the true biblical sense of peace that's based in real completeness, real wholeness, genuine unity that's achieved because we've changed. And as we experience these things, we come to God more and more for it. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. That's the definition of kindness. Giving generously to all without judging them or deciding if they deserve it or not or if it really should be your responsibility or not. You just do it because it's the right thing to do. And if you're following along, this is that list. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. What's the next one? And that's where we're at today. So let me ask you another question. What is Jesus' definition of goodness? If he didn't care about all the other definitions, what was the one that he actually did care about? Well, it's, it's the fruit of the Spirit version of it. The Greek word is agathosune. And it basically means godliness. It means like God. It's, it's the idea that it's not just something that we all agree is good. It's not something that we all just decide is pleasurable or fun or gets us where we want to go. It's somehow innately, fundamentally like God. And sometimes that's something that everybody in the whole world agrees is good. And sometimes it's something that everybody in the world, except those who follow Jesus, agree that it's bad or lame or dumb. But it doesn't change like shifting shadows. It is good because it's the character of God. And the Holy Spirit grows this in his people. And little by little, they don't just become good people, good citizens, good Christians, good people in everybody else's eyes or in each other's eyes. They become little by little like God himself. And that's the dream. That's what the Holy Spirit is trying to do in us and through us. I love how C.S. Lewis put this. He said, goodness is, so to speak, itself. Badness is only spoiled goodness. Evil is a parasite, not an original thing. So many times we think that the darkness is more powerful than the light, but it's not. Did you know there actually isn't any such thing as darkness? There's just light and no light. You can't shine darkness into a light room. You can shine light into a dark room. Are you, does this make sense? And in the same way with cold. There's no such thing as cold. There's just heat and no heat. I don't know that much about refrigerators, but I do understand that it doesn't actually pump cold in. It sucks heat out. Are you with me? And in the same 
way, there is no such thing as badness in the same sense that there is goodness. Of course there's badness. There is sick, twisted, evil everywhere we look. There's brokenness and bad stuff. But all it is is counterfeits and cheap copies of what's good. The good is what makes the bad bad. It's the good that, that, that makes us know that the bad just doesn't cut it. James, still in the same passage, verse 16. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. And again, this is why, this is one of the confusing things, because a lot of times we think God just doesn't want us to have any fun. God doesn't want us to enjoy all the good stuff. Are you with me? How can God be good? He don't want us to enjoy the good stuff. But the problem is we get the good stuff wrong. We take it out of context. Gluttony is a sin. That's one we don't pick on a whole lot because most of us are guilty of that one. Right? So we don't like talking about it. It's a little bit uncomfortable. But gluttony is a sin. Not because it's wrong to eat. Not because it's wrong to enjoy food. Not because it's wrong. God commanded feasts. He set them up. He designed the idea of partying. That was God's idea. Just like there's six days of work and one day of rest, he had seasons of work and seasons of rest and whole seasons where people would stop working and just get everybody together and remember what life is about. Remember their friends. Remember their family. Remember what makes life worth living. And they would intentionally eat too much and drink a little too much. Not get drunk, but I mean, they would literally just, they would enjoy being together. How many, how many know this? Like, I, I'm already looking forward to Thanksgiving. Amen. You know, with me? And, and there's nothing wrong with that. Because how awesome is it that we just get together and we don't even have to trade gifts or anything. You just get together with family and you hang out and you eat and then you get sleepy and you take a nap accidentally. And then you wake up and your family and friends are still there. And so you play another game and you sing another song and you hang out just a little bit longer. That is good. That is fundamentally good. Which is why it's so wrong if I take what God designed to be good and I sit there all alone in the dark eating donuts by myself. That's why that's so broken. It's a twisted, spoiled version of what God designed to be good and wholesome and point us back to him and make us like him. You tracking? Is this making? Amen. This is so important that we remember these things and get it because it takes, it just sucks all the power of the devil out of there. It sucks all the, what we think is the power of sin and the appeal of sin out when we remember that the only actual goodness that there could possibly ever be in sin can actually be traced back to God himself. It's just the twisted, spoiled versions of what used to be something he designed. So what does Jesus' goodness look like? What would it look like if we lived good? What did it look like when Jesus taught people to look good and he lived this out? One whole chapter I would recommend you to read to get a glimpse of this is Luke chapter 10. Again, all these are in the study guide. I hope you go back and read this in the version of your choice. But in Luke chapter 10, there's three stories. One is Jesus sends out the 72. It's one of the first short-term mission trips there's ever been. It's a great story. But if you read it, you'll notice a couple things. Jesus does not train these people how to do good PR. It's actually the opposite. 
He actually tells them a bunch of things that if those people wandered into my town and I didn't know what was going on, I'd be like, who in the world are these fools? And he says, if people don't welcome you, just walk away. Shake the dust off your feet as a symbol and just walk away. But this is Jesus, so it has to be good. That's weird. And the next thing he does is he tells the story of the good Samaritan. He casts the hero of this story is somebody that everybody would assume is not good. Somebody they would assume is a sinner and who lives in a daily separation from God. But he said, no, no, no. This guy did the right thing. This guy did what God wanted done. This guy did what God would do in that situation. And therefore, who is the good neighbor in this story? Who is the good person? The Samaritan. Why? Because he did what God would do. He acted like God. And then he goes to Martha and Mary's house. And Martha does what Jesus does most of the time. If you follow the story of Jesus throughout the Gospels, and I encourage you to do that. You should always go back and read at least one of the Gospels every single year, or all four of them, or several times a year. We've got to keep it fresh in our minds what Jesus said and what he did. Let's not pretend that we've got it all memorized, that we understand it all. Every time you go back through and you see what he said and what he did, especially from all four of those wonderful perspectives we've been given, it just, you get to know him better. You recognize his voice better. And when he does speak to you, when his spirit speaks to you, that helps you recognize it. But Jesus, if you follow Jesus through these stories, you see him serving all the time. That was one of his definite things. Washing people's feet and stuff like that. That's a very Jesus thing to do. So here's Martha, just assuming she's doing the right thing, working hard, but she's getting mad. And she's seeing her sister out there just sitting there listening to Jesus, and she's going, oh. Not a lot of joy happening. Not a lot of peace. Not a lot of patience. Not a lot of kindness, not a lot of goodness. Martha's getting mad. And finally she storms in there and she says, Jesus, what in the world? Tell her to come and help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you're worried and upset about many things. But few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better. It will not be taken away from her. Am I the only person that when I was a kid, your mom, uh, or when you were a kid, I don't know how, I should have practiced how to say that better. Am I the only person that this happened a lot when you were a child? Your mom or your dad would make you cut something in two and then your other sibling would get to pick which one? And everybody knew that even if they looked identical, one, one side was a little bit better, right? It's the same cookie. It's really, really close. It's so close, but one side's the better one. That's the Greek sense here. When Jesus says, chosen what is better or chosen what is good, there's different translations because, again, English just doesn't totally match up every time. What it means is the good portion, the good side of the cookie that you broke off. When you poured milk into two different glasses, it's the, it's the one that everybody really wants, even though it looks the same. He's, he, there's two sides. Serving is good. There's nothing wrong with serving. That's holy and good and wonderful. But just saying, it's even better that if I'm actually in the room, just stop and pay attention. If you actually hear my voice, listen. If you actually have a chance to connect 
with me, myself. Don't just keep automatically doing all the stuff that you know is a good idea most of the time. Listen to me. And brothers and sisters, that's one of the biggest, most practical tips I can give you about how to hear the Spirit of God on a regular basis. When He speaks, listen. Give Him a chance to. Romans 15. Paul says some really encouraging things to the people in Rome, and I I believe they apply to us today as well. He says, I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness. You're filled with knowledge and competent to instruct one another. And yet I've written to you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me. See, he knows they had the spirit of God himself in them. Little by little, they're being transformed just like we are. And yet we've got to constantly measure ourselves against the ultimate standard of goodness, which is God, not compare ourselves to each other or the world, or anybody else, and try to say that that's why we're good. Because we're as good, or maybe better, by some other standard. Are we like God or not? You have it, it's in there, but we got to keep measuring ourselves against that. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, it's a beautiful passage. Again, this is in the guide. I hope you go back and read the whole thing. He's meditating on faith and love, and perseverance, and justice, and Christ's return, and he's, it's all this beautiful. And then he says, with this in mind, we constantly pray for you, that our God might make you worthy of his calling. Isn't that a beautiful thought? We can't be worthy ourselves, but he makes us worthy. He changes us, he transforms us until we're actually worthy of the calling we've received. What an amazing thought. We pray that his power may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness. This is that agathosune, goodness. Your every desire to be like God. We pray that he may bring to fruition your every desire for that and your every deed prompted by faith. In Ephesians, he says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Find out what pleases the Lord. Would you say that last line with me? Because that's the key to this whole thing. That's what goodness is. Ready? Find out what pleases the Lord. One more question. If we did this, if we lived this way, if we defined goodness in every area of our life just by what does God say about it? How is God trying to shift my heart so that eventually I would say that about it? Not what I already think or what's going to make me popular or what this author said or what society says or what the government says or what that church says, my Sunday school teacher says. What does God say about it? What would be different? I keep recommending a book to you called Forgotten God by Francis Chan. There's also some videos. There's a DVD series out there you can borrow. There's several other books on the fruit of the Spirit in our library. They're out there. You're welcome to borrow those. This morning, really quickly, before we start wrapping up, I'd like to show you a a short video. This is Francis Chan. It's a kid's story he wrote that's part of this book. Somebody animated it, and it's him narrating it. And we're going to unpack that together as we start to wrap up this morning. This is called The Big Red Tractor. The Big Red Tractor and the Little Village. 
Once upon a time, in a little field, in a happy little village, lived a big red tractor. Every morning during plowing season, the village people, no, not those village people, would come out and start the red tractor. Everyone loved the tractor and the powerful noises it would make. They would cheer for the big red tractor because he would help them through plowing season. The people worked together to move the tractor. Half of the villagers would push from behind while the other half would pull. They had been doing it this way for many generations. Some days they moved the tractor 10 feet. Some days they moved it 20. They did this for three whole months every year. Because of their hard work, the villagers always managed to plow the field just in time to plant and just before the rainy season. The rains would come to water the field. Then the sun would come out to make the crops grow. And then the people would come out and harvest all the new crops. It was just enough food to feed the entire village. One day, Farmer Dave was cleaning out his attic. To his surprise, he found an old book tucked beneath his great-grandpa's belongings. It was the owner's manual to the big red tractor. This book told about how the tractor was made and all the great things it could do. Farmer Dave studied the book all night. He was shocked by what he was reading. According to the book, if the big red tractor was running properly, it could plow the whole field in just one day. Early the next morning, Farmer Dave gathered the villagers to tell them the good news. But nobody believed him. There's no way that tractor can move on its own, some said. One lady said, it sounds like you're reading a fairy tale. The people laughed at him. This made Farmer Dave very sad. This didn't stop Farmer Dave from believing what he read. Every night, while the other villagers were asleep, Farmer Dave spent time repairing the big red tractor. One night, Farmer Dave fixed the tractor completely. He jumped on the tractor and had so much fun driving it, he ended up plowing the whole field in one night. The next morning, the villagers woke up and were in shock. The whole field had been plowed. It's a miracle, one man said. Maybe aliens came down, said an old woman. No, look over there, a little boy shouted. It was Farmer Dave sleeping on the tractor. It was then that people shouted, he was right, the tractor book is true. The villagers ended up plowing many fields that year and harvesting way more food than they could ever eat. They had so many leftover boxes of food that they began taking the boxes to other villages where food was scarce. The big red tractor and his little village soon became famous throughout the land. They became known as the most generous and life-giving people in the whole wide world. Isn't that cool? Under our own power, we can barely survive. If we keep trying to make church work and it's just us doing it, and we just keep doing things just the way we've always done it, and what everybody agrees is good and right, and nobody makes fun of, we're missing so much. Because that big red tractor, if you didn't get it, that represents the church, and it represents the church as God designed it, empowered by the Holy Spirit. 
And when we get that, everything changes. So here's where we're going to end up is two big questions today. And I hope that the answers to these just draw us deeper into the heart of God and deeper into his will for us as a church. First one is this. What good are we doing? And that's not a rhetorical question. I'm not, I'm not asking you, I don't think we're doing any good at all. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying what good, godly good are we doing? Let's notice that. Let's lean into that. I know there are good things. There are things going on here that are exactly what God wants us to be doing. And here's how we know. They're always going to be bigger than life. The results are going to be bigger than we could create on our own. Jesus said that every good tree bears good fruit. Some seed falls on the good soil. He tells all these stories and he picks out. Here's another chapter to read later when you get a chance. The whole thing. Watch how Jesus' definition of goodness is so different. And yet with each one of these things I list in this one chapter, think about the impact they had. In Luke chapter 5, I said Luke 10 earlier, this is 5. Ready? Jesus calls a bunch of fishermen to be his disciples. That did not look good, but look at the impact that had on the world. Jesus heals a leper. That was not an okay thing to do back then. But look at the impact it had on him and his family and everybody that's ever read this story. Jesus forgave and healed a paralytic. He called and ate that night with a tax collector. Jesus did stuff all the time that did not look good. But every single thing he did was in line with the will of the Father. And every single one of those, that we're still feeling the ripples of the goodness in those things. Jesus talked about in that same chapter, something I told you, we, we've mentioned it several times, we're coming back again. The Holy Spirit gave us a word not too long ago about this too. And that's the idea of wineskins. You can't put new wine... In old wineskins, they burst. Sometimes we've got to ask a question. This is a great new idea. Does it even fit in the stuff that we're doing? Again, I'm not saying we're not doing anything good. Even this standard, God's standard, truly godly. I know we are, but there's got to be more. I guarantee you there's more. And maybe it doesn't fit into every single way that we do everything. We've got to keep asking that question. Here's the second big question. What good does the Spirit want us to do? And I beg you to ask him that. Give him a chance to answer you. Sit at his feet like Mary and listen when he speaks. And here's how you know it's going to be good. It probably won't make you seem like a good person to other people. It might, but it probably won't. But it will make you more like God. And here's what you'll notice happening all around you. You're listening? This should sound really familiar. As you lean into this thing that God tells you is good, here's what's going to happen. All around you will be joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, most of all, love. And you'll know it's God because it looks like God and it looks like his family. Doesn't matter if it's trending. Doesn't matter if it's popular. Doesn't matter if everybody else says, why aren't you talking about this? Or you better talk about if it's what the Spirit is saying, that's what needs to be done. So I don't know what you want to do this morning. I don't know what, I don't even know what I want you to do this morning. 
But if the Spirit is telling you to do this morning, we're going to sing another song as we often do. We're going to make a commitment as one big body to follow him no matter what he says. And I would like you to please say yes to him. Maybe you've never given your life to Jesus. Maybe he's leading you to officially join our church. Maybe you want prayer. Maybe like last week, you've got a testimony where the Spirit is telling you to do something. And you want prayer about that. Maybe there's a need you feel led to met. I don't know, but would you do that? I'm in the band today, so I'm going to go back here. My dad's going to come up and stand here. You can talk to him and share. You can just come and pray. Whatever you need to do. But would you say yes to the Holy Spirit this morning? Don't, don't worry if anybody thinks you're not a good person if you come forward. Or if you're a really good person if you do. Just do what God tells you to do this morning.